Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you guys today. This is my first time uh, back since uh, the middle of June. I was in Dallas last week, and the week before that, uh, we were in Costa Rica, of course. And if I uh, cough at all in the middle of this, excuse me. We had the choice when we were in Costa Rica to either sweat to death or freeze to death because the air conditioning unit was either all on or not at all. And we chose to freeze to death, but uh, we all ended up getting gunk in our throats after that week. But we had a, a wonderful time, as I'm sure you heard last week. If you could take your bulletins out real quick, and hopefully uh, you have this little flyer in your bulletin. Uh, if not, I was told by Joe we kind of ran out, and I just sent Travis to put a bunch um, back on the Welcome Center, so when you walk out of here, you can grab one. But for the last nine years, uh, we've been holding an event called Hot Summer Nights. Uh, the very first year we did it, we had about 25 teenagers uh, in a basement. And as that's grown last year, uh, of course, it's always three nights, we had a, about 450 students every single night. And we know of those 450 students, most of them do not know the Lord. And a lot of our energy and a lot of our planning goes into this event. And for the most part, everybody in our church misses out on it. And so um, this is for teenagers, but we want you to be a part of it. Uh, 450 students fills up these, these three sections, but then we've also got uh, room on the sides, and it's always exciting when, the, when it's a, a full house. Uh, you'll see on the back there are some of the details. Uh, my brother Matt came and spoke for Cold Winter Nights for us, and he even came for two days of camp and did such a phenomenal job speaking that uh, we wanted him to come and just be our speaker this year rather than just being the funny guy. So Matt's going to be the speaker this year. I've also talked to—he's uh, become a good friend of ours, Jim Monroe, which many of you might have come when— uh, and Jim Monroe is the maze where he does his show. Uh, he's going to be coming back, and uh, it is going to be a phenomenal three nights. We are going—all the information— that's more in detail is on our website that tells you everything about each night, including the fact that we're trying to uh, help support ICA, which is uh, the International Crisis Aid, which is an organization here in St. Louis that they are just now finishing the home uh, here in St. Louis, and that is kind of a, they're not saying where that is, but uh, it's a home for girls that have been rescued out of sex trafficking, most of them here in St. Louis, uh, to house them and to uh, kind of bring them back and rehabilitate them at the same time, uh, sharing the Lord with them, because the only way that healing can truly come is through uh, the power of the cross and the, and the Word. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be trying to get our students to bring towels, just something tangible. We want those towels to be bought at Walmart, and the reason why is not because they're rolling back the prices, but because uh, if we get so many towels— there's a lot of things that they need there, and that way they're able just to simply take them back, the towels. Don't bring your used towels that you've already used for five years, and you're wanting to get a new color in your bathroom so you can bring those. They, they need to be brand new towels. And so uh, encourage your students. But I tell you that once so that if you have uh, students in your neighborhood, uh, to invite them. Most kids in West County know about hot summer nights. They might not come to Zoe the rest of the year, but they'll come to Hot Summer Nights because they've been before and because they have so much fun, they want to be here for it. So we will. We'll have around 450, hopefully this year. Each year it's gotten bigger. Maybe it'll be more this year. But 
also if you would be praying for that uh, because that is uh, up and coming. So there you go. If you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 12. I'm excited that I get to preach for the next four weeks. Uh, just to let you know what we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to be looking at really what Jesus has to say about certain topics. Uh, today we're going to look at what he had to say about our words, the words we actually speak. Uh, next week we're going to be looking about what he spoke about the Holy Spirit. The week after that we're going to look at what he said was true salvation and what it looks like to mourn. And then the last week we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about the end. What's it going to be like? And so hopefully that will whip your appetite to be here. Uh, but that's what we're going to be talking about. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 12. Now before we read it, I'll tell you, growing up, you know, I have two brothers. Josh and I were 20 months apart. And then Matt and I, uh, we're nine years apart. And so the relationship that I had with Matt being nine years apart was a totally different relationship than I had with Josh. Josh, every single moment of my life growing up included him. We did everything together. We shared a, a bedroom. Uh, most of the teams we played on, we played on together. So with that, we shared the same friends. Even though we didn't like it, sometimes we shared the same clothes. Everything that we did was a competition. We competed at who got dressed the fastest. We, got, we competed at who ate the fastest. Everything we did was a competition, whether it involved a ball or not. And with that, we could be having the greatest time ever, but we could also be at each other's throats nonstop. See, it's very hard when you're a 12th grader to be talking trash to a 3rd grader. So I didn't have that relationship with Matt. But a lot of times, Josh and I, we'd be going at it, and we'd maybe say something smart out to each other or sarcastic. We'd be calling each other names. And my mom, we'd be driving, and uh, she would say, Boys, listen. You will be held accountable for every single word you speak. And of course, we had no response to that. We'd be like, oh, okay, Mom. But what I did not realize back then was she was actually quoting Jesus. And a lot of times, Jesus says something in Scripture that I'm like, okay, okay. But there's this thought. You know, Jesus said a lot of things in those three years. But the things we have, not only did he say them, which of course if Jesus is saying them, are they 100% truth? Yes. But this is so important that the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to record exactly what Jesus said here. So this wasn't just a slip. This is something that Jesus was speaking, and that's what we're going to look at today when he spoke on words. So we're in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 33. Please follow along. Either make the tree good... And it's fruit good or make the tree bad and it's fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit now if you have your Bible what I want you to do and you're gonna see this is gonna tell us this here in a second but beside the word tree write the word heart because this is what he's talking about Jesus was always speaking at a spiritual level and he's saying here that make the tree good he's not worried about horticulture he's not worried about the trees that are around them he's saying if the tree is good the fruit will be good. So in this passage, the tree is the heart, the fruit is the, what do you think it is? The mouth. All right? So you can write that beside fruit. Either make the, the heart good, and its mouth will be good, or make the heart bad, and its fruit will be bad. For the tree is known by its fruit, for the mouth is known by its fruit. And of course, he's, he's speaking to the Pharisees here. 
And he says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? What he's saying is, I know what's in your heart. You can't, anything that comes out of you, of course, they think they're good. It, it can't be good because you, your hearts are full of evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. All right? Now, before I tackle this, what I want to do, and a lot of times when I have my quiet time or when I'm studying the Word of God, I really like to, to read several translations. I also, for fun, really like to read the paraphrase or the message of the Bible. Okay, I don't take my study based off it, but it, what it does for me is it allows my mind to think of it a little different and then go back to the original text. And so that's what I want to do. I want to read this passage to you from the message, and it'll be up on the screen. If you grow a healthy tree, you'll pick healthy fruit. If you grow a diseased tree, you'll pick worm-eaten fruit. The fruit tells you about the tree. You have minds like a snake pit. How do you suppose what you say is worth anything when you are so foul-minded? It's your heart, not the dictionary, that gives meaning to your words. A good person produces good deeds and words season after season. I really like that phrase because what we're going to talk about this here in a second, what comes out of my mouth is not based on the season I'm in or the circumstance I'm in. It's not what's going on around me, that's what's coming out of my mouth. It's what's going on in my heart. And whatever's going on in my heart, that will come, in, come out no matter what the season, no matter what the circumstance. An evil person is a blight on the orchard. Let me tell you something. Every one of these careless words is going to come back to haunt you. There will be a time of reckoning. Words are powerful. Take them seriously. Words can be your salvation. Words can also be your damnation. Now, before I go on, I just want to make this very clear. Okay, this is not saying that you are saved by your words. Now, the Bible does say confess with your mouth and you will be saved. But the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace we are saved through faith. It is not by works. It is a gift from God. Okay, no one can boast. But what he's saying here is this is if you have been saved, you are, it is made clear by what is coming out of your mouth. Okay, that once Christ comes into my life, I am a new creation, there's a heart, heart change. There should be a changing of what is coming out of my mouth because there's a change going on in my heart. I don't change here and then just continue, the old stuff keeps coming out. There needs to be a change. There should be a change. There should be evidence of what's going on in my heart because whatever is going on in the heart, that's what's going to come out of the mouth. And so it's something that we need to work on. So what I want to do is I want to give you three points today from this passage of what words will do. Okay, so write this down. Very easy. I, you're, you got a lot of blank on your, your notes today, your outline. Number one, write this down. Words cost. It's simple. Words cost. 
we will have to give an account for every single word we ever speak. How many times have you ever said this or heard someone say this? Can I um, just speak freely for a moment? Can, can this just be off the record? Can I just say something? And people are, oh yeah, sure. Listen, you can't. Because guess what? Your words always cost. I cannot just say whatever I want to my wife and it not cost me something. And I don't mean that in a kidding way. Everything that I say, once I've said it, it's there. And there can be a cost to it. It's the same thing with my children. It's the same way with my fellow workers. It's the same way with the people around me, my friendships. Everything I say, it costs. Now, I, we live in a country, and I want to separate this, where when we just celebrated our independence a couple days ago, where our forefathers, that endowed by them, by their creator, they believed, and we believe what? Every single person has the freedom of speech. Right, we do. But that doesn't mean that what we say doesn't cost. In fact, even greater than being a citizen of the United States of America is that the moment that I trusted my life to Jesus Christ and said, I am no longer mine, I am yours, save me, what did I become a citizen of? I became a citizen of a greater kingdom that's going to last for eternity. I'm a, I'm a citizen of heaven. And my words cost. Look at this verse, Psalms 141. It's up on the screen. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Psalms 39.1 says, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. Okay, well, a couple things here is one, the Bible says this is something that I've got to be actively doing, guarding my mouth. Remember our moms growing up, they'd say, listen, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything nice at all. We have to guard our mouths. We have to be very careful about one, what comes out. In fact, it even says here that you have the ability to sin with your tongue. You know, we, we, we ma major on make sure you have pure thoughts, which that you need to ma major on those things. We major on all these things that, you know, as children, make sure you're honoring your parents. Do all these right things, and we measure, look in our life as far as the things that we're walking in the ways of the Lord, but yet, of course, it says, says in James 3, what's the hardest thing to tame? The tongue. That we can be doing all these things, but at the same time, and I'm going to give you all kinds of illustrations here in a second, where we can be sinning with our tongue. And here it says that you should put a muzzle over your mouth. Now, what is a muzzle used for? It's used to cover the mouth of a dog. Now, you put it over the mouth of a dog that what? Is prone to bite. See, I have a little Maltashan. She's white, little, and when you come to the door, she will bark, and she is sounding like she's going to tear your head off, and then you step to her, and she runs off, or she's just going to lick you. Okay, we've never had to muzzle her because she's not prone to bite. But here it is saying you need to muzzle the mouth. Why? Because what is your mouth prone to do? It is prone to bite. And just like with a bite from a dog, your words can leave scars. They can cause severe damage. And they can cause a lot of pain. 
And the Bible says we're to muzzle it. We're to guard it. Because when it speaks, those words are not free. They cost. And I just want to show you just in Scripture, just and, and there's, there's, you know, maybe an unlimited amount, but I just want to give you six that I look in my life or in others around me where I see th- these are areas that we don't major, major on when we're talking about that whatever the overflow of the heart is, the mouth speaks, and by your fruit you're known. Okay, so I just want to give you six. And you can just write these down underneath this on the blanks. Okay, number one is this. Lying. And I had to start with this because this is one that I think I've struggled with more than any others in my life. Not, not lying as in um, lying to deceive as in I'm trying to get away with something and I'm a, a liar. That, that's not where I've struggled. Where I've struggled with is I just, for my entertainment, I always find when someone asks me something, it is more fun to be creative and tell a story and see if I can get you than to just tell you the truth. And this is something that I've struggled with my entire life. Okay, I said, well, he's just joking, he's just fibbing, but, but they're lies. And I was very convicted about this because this is the verse that, that uh, the Lord gave to me, and, and it's in Proverbs. In fact, if you want, I'm going to be showing you a lot of verses in Proverbs. And if you don't read the book of Proverbs, I encourage you to. Proverbs is just a book of wisdom. And really, for the most part, it deals with um, your money, your morals, and your mouth. All, all through it. But look at this passage in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Now, that word abomination in the Hebrew means detestable. It's this picture of someone leaving the throne of God, and worshiping him and worshiping Satan. It's idolatry. It's moving from what I was created to worship and moving away from him and creating an abomination and worshiping something that is less than him. And here the Bible is saying that lying lips are an abomination. See, the reason why is because what is God's attribute? Truth. And when I lie, what I'm doing is I'm moving away from the throne of truth and I'm participating in something. Something is coming out of my mouth. There's an overflow of my heart. There's something in my heart that's coming out is something that is an exact opposite of the very character and nature of God. And so it says here, it's an abomination. And he delights in those who have faithful lips. And so lying is number one. Number two, sowing discord. Sowing discord. And I'll just read the passage first, and then we'll talk about it. Proverbs 6, 12 through 15 says, A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly, and in a moment he will be broken beyond healing. Now, what I want you to notice here is the way that it refers to this sowing discord is the actual phrase, and discord is, is someone that speaks disunity. Whether it's at work or here in the church or wherever, it's a person that acts uh, divisively and, and, and speaks poison in the midst of an organization that causes all kinds of problems. And what they are doing is they are sowing discord. In fact, even in our covenant as a church, one of the things that is so important is what? That I will protect the 
the unity of my church. Because discord, in fact, Paul says it this way, do everything you can to keep peace among the brothers. And here, the, the picture is, if you sow discord, meaning that if you're planting discord, you're going to reap calamity. You are. And it's a promise from God. And so it's, they cost. Your words and my words, they cost. And if you are a person that struggles with sowing discord, whether it's in your family or around those around you, the, the, the Bible is promising. There's all, the Bible is filled with promises. There's a lot of promises we like to claim. This is not one of those memory verses where we claim the promise. But the promise is this. If you sow discord, therefore calamity will come upon you suddenly. And in a moment like that, you'll be broken beyond healing. So we don't want to sow discord in our life. Number three, gossip. <clears throat> and let me just give you a simple definition for gossip. Gossip is spreading intimate or private rumors or facts. Okay, real simple. Gossip is spreading intimate or private rumors or facts. See, it's not just if it's a rumor is it considered gossip. If it's a fact and it's something that is intimate or private and you're going and you're discussing it with someone else, that's, just, that's gossip. In fact, the way that, that in the church I grew up, this is how people in the church do it, is they'll go to someone when they've heard something and they'll go to someone and they'll say, listen, I've got something to tell you for you to pray about. And then they'll share, did you hear? And they'll share it. And of course, they haven't prayed for that person. And there really isn't a true burden on their heart. And as they share it, the next person, they haven't gotten on their knees burdened before the Lord and prayed for them. And then they've gone and shared that with someone else. And what is, the, that, what, what is that? That is gossip. And you know, if you're a person that likes gossip, if you get excited when you hear the words, did you hear Okay, this is what the Bible says in Proverbs 20, 19. A gossip goes around telling secrets, so don't hang around with chatterers. 2 Corinthians 12, 20, this is Paul writing, he says, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may not find you as I wish, and that you may not find me as you wish, that perhaps there may be, an, and I want you to notice there, he lists a bunch of things here, but how many of them have to do with the mouth? Quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Three of them here have to do with the mouth. Okay? It should not be in our lives. Why? Because whatever is coming out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay, number four. And I'm going to get back to our, our passage here in a second, but I just wanted to give you several. Okay, number four, cursing. Romans 3. Their throat is an open grave, their tongues to deceive, the venom of asps, and that's a snake, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Now let me talk about this for a second, okay? Do you know why it's called cursing? Because when you are cursing, what you're doing is you are speaking a curse. That's what you're doing. Okay, now I'm going to explain the difference between cursing and foul language here in a second. But a curse is when, you know, you're damning something. And it is amazing to me how even when I'm around Christian people, it's, well, those aren't the bad words. No, those are curses. And I hear people curse their jobs. 
I hear people curse their employees. I hear people curse their families. I hear people curse their marriage. I hear people curse their finances. I think, why in the world would you speak a curse over those areas? I don't want a curse over those areas in my life. And, and we do that. In fact, it even says in James 3, 9, it says um, that blessings and curses come from the same mouth because with our lips we bless God. You know, we come in here and we sing praises to God and we tell him how wonderful he is. And with the very same mouth, we curse, we speak curses upon other people or on things. And the Bible says this, this should not be because fresh water and salt water cannot come from the same spring. Because whatever is coming out of your mouth, it's not the circumstance, it's not the season you're in, it's not what you're feeling, it is a root, it is something that is growing in your heart, and it is coming out. You are bearing a certain fruit, and it's evidence of the tree. And so that's where he says, how do you speak cursing and expect blessing at the same time? Look at this verse. Uh, The Bible says in Psalms 109, verse 17, he loved to curse. Let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing. May it be far from him. See, if you are a person that the cursing is in your life, the Bible is saying blessing is far from you. Because you cannot be a person that speaks curses, which, by the way, is an overflow of your heart, and blessing be nearby. He clothed himself with cursing as his coat. May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones. What you're doing is you are marinating in curses. And and just so you know, at the very bottom of your notes, I didn't put this up on the screen, but I I gave you Proverbs uh, 18, verse 21. It says, with your tongue, or with your mouth, depending on which translation you read, you have the power of life or death. Our words are very powerful. And if cursing is in your life, It shouldn't be, okay? Uh, Number five, filthy language. Filthy language. Okay? Colossians 3, 8 says, But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Now, I'm going to get to all these here in a second, but I'm trying to give you different illustrations. I want you to think about this. Here... I have repented of my sin. Christ has come into my life. I now have the Holy Spirit indwelling in me. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, what is coming out of my mouth is what the world in its lostness and depravity and darkness has deemed as vulgar, ugly, filthy. I mean, there are certain words there's certain words for every little thing that we have, we have a word for it, and then someone has made a, a vulgar or a filthy word for it. And the Bible says, listen, this should not be coming out of your mouth. Whatever is the overflow of your heart, that's what the mouth is going to speak. This is an area in my life, and I, I, I uh, talked to our students a lot about this. When I was about a probably from between 8th grade and 11th grade, my parents didn't know this at the time, I really struggled with my language. It was the area where I believed that I could be a wild child, and they didn't know about it. It was the area that, you know, I kind of went off, and, and for me, it was, it started in sports. 
And I felt like that in my game, to beef up my game, and that I had a little ferocity to myself, is that it started with little words, and then it got bigger, and then all of a sudden, I had about a two, three-year period where anything that happened on the court or whatever, I would struggle with my language. And there was even a point where I began to be convicted about, wait a minute, what's going on here? All this stuff is coming out of my mouth, and it is not evident about what the Lord was doing in my heart. And so I began to go, okay, I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop using foul language. But guess what? I would still, when, um, and maybe, maybe I'd stopped using it, but maybe let's say I slammed my finger in the door, or on the golf course I would slice a drive, or something would happen, and all of a sudden it would pop back up, and I would either say it, or I would think it. And the reason why is because it had been in my heart, and also I was putting things into my heart that as it's, we, we read there in Matthew 12, whatever comes out of the, the treasure, you know, the treasury is not, it's, it's not, that's what you're, it's whatever you're storing away, that is the treasure. That's the chest. That's the treasury. And whatever comes out, that's what's in there. So whenever things in my life were coming out, I began to learn, well, the reason why is because that's what's overflowing inside of me. And so it's not, the, it's not just the words that have to be dealt with, it's my words. And we're going to look at here in a second, it's the roots have to be dealt with. In fact, it's really, I never understood this, but John the Baptist, when he was referring to Jesus coming, do you guys remember what he said? Even now the axe is being led to, is being placed at the root. And what he was saying is when Jesus came, Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming, when he comes, he's not coming to to deal with our, our reactions or deal with our actions, he was coming to deal with the heart. He was coming to the root, and he was going to cut what he needed to cut. Because whatever's going on on the outside is a reflection of the heart. A lot of times in church, we just want to focus on the outward things, and Jesus says, no, the heart, the heart, the heart. But what had to begin to happen in my life is I had to begin to repent of it. I had to begin to fill my life with the word of God, and I had to stop allowing myself to listen to and watch things that were filled with all kinds of trash. And then there came a point where, guess what? It was no longer there. I mean, I can slam my, my um, thumb with a, a, a hammer, and what's going to come out is, ouch, and not anything else. I think it's amazing. Sometimes, you know, I'll walk around the corner, and I'll startle someone, and, you know, a word pops out, and what, what they're saying is, this is still the overflow of my heart. And the Bible's saying is, listen, don't let filthy language come out of your mouth. It should not, it doesn't match up. Last one, and then we'll move on. Okay, I've given you enough. Number six is contentious speech. Contentious speech. And just a little definition of that. The, these are words that are hurtful, hateful, malicious, disagreeable, argumentative. Argumentative. When I was growing up, I had a very argumentative spirit. I argued to argue. Anybody else like that? When my, especially it was with my mom. You know, dad was gone a lot. And she would say something, and then I would say something back. And then she'd say something back, and I always wanted to have the last word. And she would say, you always want to have the last word. And then I would go, no, I don't, because I wanted to have the last word. And then she'd say, stop being such a smart aleck. And I'd say, mom, you name me Philip, not Alec. 
And I just, I just argue to argue. And there's a lot of people that they just, they like to argue. They like to get people's blood boiling. Are you a person that has contentious speech? Now, I'm going to give you two, two verses. The first one I'm going to give, this is towards women, okay? But men, do not elbow your wife, because after that, I've got one for you too, okay? So here we go. Proverbs 21.9 says, It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than a house shared with a quarrelsome or a contentious wife. Other translations say contentious. My, I use English Standard Version, so it says quarrelsome. What it's saying is, it is better for you to live in the attic of your house than to share a home with a woman that argues about everything. Okay, now men. Proverbs 26, 21. A charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire. So is a contentious man to kindle strife. See, if you are a man and you have a problem with just arguing, whether it's arguing with your wife because you think you have to win the argument and you have to be right. I've heard my dad say this many times. No one ever wins an argument. Even if you've walked away and you think you're, you're your point has been proven, have you walked away a winner or a loser? You've walked away a loser. Because all it is, it is charcoal to the coal to burn the fire. And you're going to see later on in James 3, it's like, it can be like a forest fire. Okay? So these are areas that the Bible saying, listen, these should not be in our lives. All right? So number one is words cost. There is a cost to the things that we say. And the lie is that we can just say whatever we want and get away with it, and the, the, the truth is no words cost. Number two, words hurt. Words hurt. Um, another thing that I grew up struggling with was sarcasm. We used to call it scarcasm. In fact, even, I, I'll tell you, the, the, my two favorite shows growing up were Seinfeld and Everybody Loves Raymond. And these are two shows, if you don't know about them, that are filled with sarcasm. But they're also shows that, guess what, are filled with very, very unhealthy relationships, filled with sarcasm, and I promise you, those characters are not experiencing intimacy. Because your words, my words, they hurt. Now, what we like to do, and, and what a lot of people do, is they will say something, and the lie is that if you say it, and if you just say, oh, I'm just kidding, that it's all right. They won't cost me. I can say it, and if I just say, I'm just joking, just joking. It, it's, it's like this. This is the way I picture it, and it's awesome. Is that there's, there's actually a verse that even uses this. Is It's like someone taking a bow and arrow. They shoot it at you. It hits you. It wounds you, and they walk up, and they take the arrow, and they pull it out and go, I'm just joking. That's not meant to stay there. And, and you walk away, and that person has blood gushing out. I'm just kidding. Just joking about that. In fact, look at this verse. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19 says, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. See, you, don't, you can't joke with your words. And, and here's what gets me is there's been a lot of times where um, someone has said something, and maybe this happened to you, and they've really hurt you. And they go, 
I'm just joking. I'm just joking. And then because you're hurt and you actually don't laugh it off with them, they, they'll go, why are you being so, so sensitive? Stop wearing your, your feelings on your sleeve. And they walk away, and you feel hurt, and you also feel like somehow you're the one that was in the wrong and not them. See, I don't walk up to a tree and go, oh, look at those beautiful oranges. And then the trees stop me and say, oh, I'm just joking. I'm not really an orange tree. I'm an apple tree. I don't mean anything by these oranges. You'd be, are you kidding me? Because what is an orange tree always going to produce? Oranges. It's the same thing with our life. What comes out of my mouth is supposed to be life and truth and that which builds others up. And if what's coming out of my mouth is filthy language or just sarcasm, the Bible says it's an overflow of my heart. When we read that verse on cursing, do you notice what came out with cursing? It says, out of the mouth comes cursing and bitterness. Because I just want you to know, if you have the problem of cursing, there is a root of bitterness in your heart. Because bitterness goes along with cursing. And so if these things are in my life, I'm not to go, oh, I'm just joking. If they're there, it's not just going, okay, let's go a week without saying anything. It's going, God, what is this in my life? I have a problem with lying. I have a problem with sowing discord. I have a problem with gossiping. I have a problem with filthy language. I have a problem with just having an argumentative spirit. If that's the case, what he says is you repent of it, you deal with it, and you go to the heart of the matter because what it is is, it is a, there's a diseased tree in there that needs to be taken care of because whatever is coming out, what Jesus is saying is, hey, you're going to— because what, what it, you will be held accountable for every careless word you say. Okay, is Jesus worried about what's coming out of my mouth, or is he worried about my heart? I'm going to be judged based on what, what was in my heart. It's, it's, he's going to deal with the roots. And in my life, whatever the area is, it's the heart of the matter. And I have to come before him and, and you know, examine my heart and see if there be any thing in me that is not right. Because words cost and words hurt. Okay? Number three, words last. Words last. They're so eternal that Jesus here says that at, there's going to be a day of reckoning. And the lie is that our words just kind of evaporate. I just said that, but I'll give it some time, and it's like it'll just magically disappear. But James 3, he, he describes it in James 3, verse 5, as this. It's like a spark that sets a forest fire. And with my words, they, they last, because here, here's what can happen, is I can go up to someone, and I can say something, just kidding, about, let's say, um, you never do anything right. Because maybe they, you know, you're with someone, and they messed up on something, and you're laughing with them, and you say, you never, you never do anything right. All right. But what you don't know is there could be a whole forest there of other words that maybe their mom or dad said, you're such an idiot. 
You, you can't ever do anything right. And maybe some of you guys, that's, that's what you happened. You're, you're so accident prone. Oh, there's our little girl, full of grace, always falling over the place, always spilling the milk. And in their lifetime, there's all these trees, roots of bitterness that have been planted. And I can say something, and by my word, who knows, I can, I can start a forest fire. Because of all the other trees, there's already a forest there. You see what I'm saying? Because words last. Words last. But here's the good news. I'm going to give you all good news now. Okay? And you can just write this down. Bad words last, but good words last also. Bad words last, but good words last also. 2 Timothy 1.3 says this. This is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. And then he goes on in verse 5 and says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And the reason why I'm giving you this verse is because I remember learning this in seminary, that the word here is Paul's writing to, to uh, Timothy. He's saying, I always remember you in my prayers. And the Greek word here for remember is gravestone marker. Like a, like, a, like a cemetery marker. Like when you go into a cemetery... There is a monument that has been placed there to remind us that someone had lived and for us to be able to remember them. And here he's saying, I I am putting up, I'm building up monuments for you of your needs before the Lord. Okay? It's it's why like a, a, a grandma or a mother can pray for her son for 20 years and after the mother has died, the son will come to know the Lord because for 20 years, what was that mother or grandmother doing? She was raising up monuments of her son's need before the Lord. And, and it's with our words, we can build monuments. Okay, now why am I telling you this? It's because it is my job as a daddy to build monuments in my children's life upon, upon which that God is going to build an identity for them in. So that means my job as a daddy is not to be sarcastic, to be smart aleck with my children. My job is that everything I do is to be building them up. It's when I'm hugging, with, hugging them and tackling them and playing with them that I'm whispering in their ear how much I love them, how proud I am of them, how there is nothing else in life that they could do to change how much I love them because they are the greatest thing that God has ever given me. I tell them all their gifts, all the things that God wants to do, and I'm constantly saying these things to them. Why? Because what I want to do is build monuments in their life because in their life there's going to be a lot of people that are what? Going to be trying to tear those monuments down, especially the enemy. So our job as parents is to build monuments into our, our sons and daughters. Our job as husbands in our marriage is what? To build monuments, to be, to be speaking life upon which that marriage works. It's not to argue. <clears throat> it's not to... to um, Say something about your husband or wife with your friends because they said something and you're slandering them to your friends. And it's amazing how many people do this. Our job, and again, it's not the person. There's something going on in our hearts that there's an overflow, whether it's hurt or bitterness. There's a root of bitterness, and that is what needs to be dealt with. It's not the issue. It's what's going on in, inside. But we are called to build monuments 
in our relationships and those all around us. In fact, a couple weeks ago when we went to camp, the very first rule I gave all the students was this week at camp, listen, there will not be a negative word spoken. Because see, I'm trying to create an atmosphere here for the Holy Spirit to move. And I'll tell you what, what is something that's going to grieve the Holy Spirit? Is what is being spoken by people. And so, yes, we had been praying. Yes, the word was being taught. Yes, um, we were worshiping. But one of the very first things we talked about was this week, everything that you say, we want you to speak life to those around you. And that's what it needs to be in, in our homes. Which, by the way, for our students, because everybody in their cabins was speaking life to each other, guess how easy it was to share at night what the Lord was doing in their hearts. It was a lot easier because everybody was speaking life and encouragement. How much easier is it in our homes to share and to confide when what is being spoken is life-giving? And so that's why Jesus here says, listen, a good tree will bear good fruit season after season, no matter what the circumstance. And if your home or if in your life what comes out of your mouth is just some of the things. And there's all kinds of different ones. The Bible talks about tail-bearing. Don't be a tail-bearer. What that means is someone comes to you in confidence, and they, and they share something with you, and then you go, you know, can you keep this in confidence? And you say, oh, yes, yes, I can. And then after you talk to them, you go to someone else and say, now, listen, I'm not supposed to tell anybody this, so don't you tell anybody this. Okay, you can't tell anybody. And then you tell them. And then, of course, that person, what do they, what they do? They go, can't tell anybody this. So just, I'm only telling you. And that's a tell-bearer. We're to, we're to be people that when people, they can trust us, you can hold me in confidence. That's, we, as Christians, we're supposed to. So there's all kinds of these in the passage of scriptures, but the Bible's saying it is the overflow of your heart. Your words count. They mean something. Okay? So I just want to give you three statements, then I'll be done. And I want you to write these down. Okay? And they'll be up on the screen. Words cost, but they can be an investment. Words do cost, but they can be an investment. So with all my words in my marriage, in my home, in my job, in everything I do, I want my words, I'm investing. I want to be a great investor because if I'm a great investor in my words, guess what those will do? They are going to pay dividends in my marriage, in my children, and in my relationships. And some of us, we've learned this in the job, but we haven't learned this at home. Okay? Words cost, but they can be an investment. Two, words hurt, but they can also heal. That's why you have to forgive and to reconcile. Okay, number three, bad words last, but good words last too. Listen to this story. A seminary professor was vacationing with his wife in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and one morning they were eating breakfast a little, in a little restaurant, hoping to enjoy a quiet family meal. And while they were waiting for their food, they noticed a distinguished-looking, white-haired man moving from table to table, visiting with the guests. The professor leaned over, and he whispered to his wife, I hope he doesn't come over here. But sure enough, the old man did come over to their table. Where are you folks from? He asked in a friendly voice. And they answered, Oklahoma. Great to have you here in Tennessee, the stranger said. What do you do for a living? 
And the man replied, I teach at a seminary. Oh, so you teach preachers how to preach, do you? Well, I've got a really great story for you. And with that, the gentleman pulled up a chair and sat down at the table with the couple. The professor groaned and thought to himself, great, just what I need. So the man started. See that mountain over there? Pointing out of the restaurant window. Not far from the base of that mountain, there was once a boy who was born to an unwed mother. He had a hard time growing up because every place he went, he was always asked the same question. Hey boy, who's your daddy? Whether he was at school, in the grocery store, or drugstore, people would ask the same question. Who's your daddy? And he would hide at recess and at lunchtime from other students. He would avoid going into stores because that question hurt him so bad. When he was about 12 years old, a new preacher came to his church. He would always go in late and slip out early to avoid hearing the question, asking him who his daddy was. But one day, the new preacher said, to the, said the benediction so fast that he got caught and did not have the time to walk out and get ahead of the crowd. Just about the time he got to the back door, the new preacher, not knowing anything about him, put his hand on his shoulder and asked him, Son, who's your daddy? The whole church got deathly quiet. He could feel every eye in the church looking at him. Now everyone would finally know the question to the answer, Who's your daddy? This new preacher, though, sensed the situation around him and using discernment that only the Holy Spirit could give, said the following to that scared little boy. Wait a minute. I know who you are. I see the family resemblance now. You are a child of God. And with that, he patted that boy on his shoulder and said, Boy, you have a huge inheritance. Go and claim it. With that, the boy smiled for the first time in a long time and walked out the door a changed person. He was never the same again. When everybody, whenever anybody asked him who his daddy was, he'd just say, I'm a child of the king. The distinguished gentleman got up from the table and said, Isn't that a great story? And the professor responded, it, w it really was a great story. And as the man turned to leave, he said, You know, if that new preacher hadn't told me that I was one of God's children, I probably never would have mounted to anything. And then he walked away. The seminary professor and his wife were stunned. He called the waitress over and asked her, Do you know who that man was that just left that was sitting here at our table? And the waitress grinned and said, Of course. Everybody here knows him. That's Ben Hooper. He's the former governor of Tennessee. Okay? Our words can be an investment. Our words can heal, and our words last. And Jesus is saying, I will be held accountable for every word that I speak. And I don't know the full extent of what that means, but I know Jesus said it, and I know the power of my words, and I know the power of your words. They speak life, or they can speak death in relationships. And so Jesus says, listen, whatever's coming out of your heart, that is what's coming out of your mouth. So whatever's in there, it is, it is the, the fruit, which is your mouth, is telling us what is going on with your roots. And if that's in your heart, it is not just enough to say, okay, I need to do better at that. It's getting on your knees, getting before the Father and saying, God, I repent of whatever's going on in my heart. And if there is a root of bitterness, I need you to deal with this. And I need your healing work. And yeah, maybe there are some people that I need to go and I need to ask forgiveness because my words have not been words where I've been building monuments of life. You know, this is so important. That's where it says in James 5.16, confess your sins one another so that times of 
healing can come from the Lord. And it's hard to go to people and confess when it's a person that what comes out of their mouth has not been words that build you up. You want to go to someone you know is going to build you up. Can you bow your heads? Let's bow our heads. And I know this is a topic where every single one of us deals with it. I don't think there's anybody here, including me, that I can stand by every single word that I've spoken this week. Whether it's been in a spirit of honoriness or in frustration or anger or just being sensitive to something that someone else said. But if there's any area in your life where you just go, this, I see this. The answer is to, to repent of it and to ask the Father to do heart surgery and to pull the roots that need to be pulled. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you. We thank you that you are the giver of life and you are the one that has the power and the ability to change us from the inside out. We thank you that if we are yours, you promise us that we, are in, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, which is the spirit of truth. And Lord, even in this area, I pray that you would guide us into all truth. Reveal to us the areas where a lot of things we say is because of the background we grew up in, the, the hurts and the heartaches and the bitterness that we've experienced. And like I mentioned before, Lord, there's just a lot of areas, things that, that we've got to guard what goes into our hearts. Because whatever goes in is going to be the overflow of what comes out. And Lord, may we be a church of people that we speak life into our homes. We speak life into our church. That we would be a, a church of encouragers and, and, and just lovers. Father, your word even says that, that people would know your disciples by the way that they love each other. And a lot of that has to do with the way they speak to each other. That we would sound differently than in a lost world that doesn't have the hope of you. And Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.